America's democracy hangs in the balance. While you're tuned into politics, Greer McVay, host of the Capital G podcast, will help you make sense of the news of the day and more importantly, understand how what goes on in our nation's capital is important to you and your family. Greer shares insights and opinions in the lead up to the election, and then will help guide you through the anticipated aftermath and into the next administration. That's politics with a capital G. Welcome to the Capital G Podcast. I am your host, Greer McVeigh. We are in the middle of a busy news week, month, year, and we're only <laughs> and we're only on January 15th. Go figure. Uh, if for anyone who thought that 2021 was going to be any different than 2020, uh, I'm here to say there's no evidence of that just yet. So maybe if we can get through these next few days, we can start to see the, the tide turn. But right now, it doesn't look, it just doesn't look like it. So let's, let's first talk about today's big numbers. And the big numbers have everything to do with where we find ourselves in this moment of history based on the activities happening right now. So uh, today's first big number, well, I'm gonna start with the biggest big number, which is five. That is five days until inauguration, five days until we have a new president, Joe Biden and vice president Kamala Harris. I, I I almost feel like I should say before we're expected to have a new president because who knows what will happen between now and <laughs> between now and Wednesday, January twentieth. But uh, the votes have been certified and everything that's supposed to happen on a legal front has happened. But we do still have a president who is still trying to come up with ways to stay in the office or, or interfere with the peaceful transition of power. And obviously that's what we're gonna talk about today, but just for the record, five days from now is when we are expected to have a new president. The next big number is 50. Uh, 50 is the number of states in the United States that are on heightened security alert because of anticipated protest from Trump supporters, literally from coast to coast. So all I can say is I hope, well, I can say a lot. <laughs> Anybody who knows me knows I can say a lot. But I hope that the only people who are out there at the state houses, at capitals across the country, are the Trump supporters, if there are not counter protesters out there. Now is just not the time. Let them have their say and everybody stay safe. The next big number is 20,000. That is the number of National Guard troops in Washington, D.C., or expected to be there by, um, by Inauguration Day. So we have thousands of National Guard troops already deployed and more are coming in the days leading up to the inauguration. The city, Washington, D.C., people are reporting that it is virtually locked down. There was a big press conference today uh, hosted by the mayor of D.C., Muriel Bowser, who uh, she and, and the coordinated efforts of multiple agencies talked about what it is that they're doing but street closures and the national mall shut off. Um, Joe Biden's inaugural team has indicated that they've got um, a lot of stuff planned for online or virtual inauguration, which they were already for the most part planning to do because of coronavirus and now because of the unrest last week. Um, 
it's just like, you know what, just we're going to do it in person. It is still going to be on the Capitol steps, but um, they are strongly discouraging people from coming. So we've got 20,000 troops expected to be in D.C. Uh, 44 is the next big number. That is the number of people charged so far from um, the insurrection last week, the, 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 the attempted coup, if you will. Uh, 44 uh, people have been charged with federal crimes. Over 100 people have been arrested so far, and they're expecting at least 300 cases to be filed. These are federal cases, which makes me wonder what, if anything, Trump would do to pardon, uh, pardon people for the federal crimes. I'm sure all of them are also, uh, you know, may ultimately be charged with some state crimes for which they cannot be pardoned. The state crimes might include things like um, interstate trafficking. You know, they were you know moving weapons across state lines. They were conspiring across state lines. Maybe uh, having firearms and weapons. Uh, when they weren't lawfully able to possess those, that kind of thing. So we'll see how that goes. And I'll talk a little bit more about pardons as well. Um, and our last big number is 140,000. So the uh, FBI and the investigating agencies have received over 140,000 tips pertaining to the events last week and people out there trying to help identify the individuals who stormed the Capitol and, you know, caused the death of at least five people um, thus far. So, but those 140, those aren't just tips. Those are actually hundred, those are files. Those are tips and files, but they include things like photos that have been uploaded, videos that have been uploaded, and other kinds of documents. Again, helping to uh, uh, hoping hoping to help the FBI identify the individuals. And you know, I, I would imagine by now, anyone listening to this podcast is as you know has also been watching the TV or has at least seen some of the footage. And some of the characters that, uh, you know, some of the characters that were at the Capitol that day, storming the Capitol, threatening to kill, threatening to hang the Vice President Mike Pence, threatening to kill, uh, kidnap and apprehend Nancy Pelosi and possibly kill her, that beat, you know, to beat to death one um one Capitol Police officer that uh, beat and and harmed other officers who were working, who were at the scene. Uh, the guy with the horns, you know, probably is the most recognizable one right now. I don't know, the shaman, the QAnon shaman or whatever he goes by. Uh, you know, these are people... Some of them are people, a lot of them are people that you would probably, you know, that might be your friends. They're people who live next door, people that you've known that are really into, whether it's into the QAnon thing, whether they are the militia types or whether they're just really um, motivated uh, 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 people who genuinely believe that the election was stolen from them. And I, you know, I, I don't want to cast aspersions on people. I don't want to uh, prosecute people before it's time for them to be prosecuted. They are all innocent until proven guilty. Um, you know, again, I would make a distinction between the people who went for the initial uh, rally early in the day from those who then marched to the Capitol from those who then breached the, the Capitol building and went inside. But as we're listening to some of the defense, the defenses that these people have, 
you know, the president invited me. I was supposed to be here because I was invited by the president and I'm entitled to be here. So we've got those people. Uh, we've got the people that are like, this is my building. My tax dollars paid for it. I own it. You, Nancy Pelosi and Mike Pence and others, you work for me, which there's some truth to that. But obviously, that doesn't give them the right to storm the building, bring weapons, um, and beat people, uh, which was another person that's very recognizable, the guy um, with the American flag that beat the police officer with the flagpole, with the American flag. And, you know, because somehow that's more um, respectful of the flag than, say, taking a knee. I, you know what? I'm just here. I'm just here to report and give my commentary. But I tell you, there's, you know, uh, Colin Kaepernick never looks so good. Um. So anyway, so we what where we are right now is five days away from Donald Trump leaving office. It is clear that he does not want to leave office for whatever his reasons are, whether it's because he owes money and he's got to pay him, whether it's because he's subject to, to um, you know, some, some he's got legal exposure and doesn't want to face the music, whether it's because it's just his ego and he lost and he can't accept it, whether it's because, you know, other people that he admires have figured out ways to become president for life and he thinks he should too. Whatever his reasons are, I don't really know. But he needs to go. I mean, his term is up. He did not win. And he needs to go. But he doesn't want to go. <laughs> he don't want to go. So starting well over, I mean, a couple of years ago, the whole thing about Ukraine was Trump trying to get evidence uh, against Joe Biden. He perceived that Joe Biden might be his most um, competitive opponent, right, of the people who were likely to run for president. And at that point, Joe Biden had not yet thrown his hat in the ring, but of the people who were likely to run for president, he perceived that Joe Biden was the biggest threat and really, really worked hard to make an issue of Hunter Biden where there was no issue there. Hunter Biden got a, a job. He was on a board. He was on a couple of boards. Um, he was on the board of a Ukrainian gas company. And, you know, did he get the job because his name is Biden? Probably, possibly. I don't know. Uh, you know, but so did Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner and <laughs> and Donald Jr. and Eric Trump and, and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, Sanford and son, you know, Lamont Sanford got a job because his dad's name, you know, because his last name was Sanford. So, you know, it happens. Is it fair? Is it nice? No. For those other people who work very hard and, you know, try to get jobs and promotions and they've got to deal with, uh, you know, competing against the boss's son or, you know, it, no, it isn't, it isn't great. It isn't fun, fair or whatever, but it is what it is. And anything beyond that is just essentially a lie. I mean, they just basically tried to make something out of the Hunter Biden issue, tried to make something out of the Joe Biden being Hunter's father and Joe, you know, was getting kickbacks and money and all this. And there just is no evidence of that. So anyway, Starting way back then, Trump was trying to lay the groundwork. He even, well, actually, he tried to lay the groundwork before then, right? Before the 2016 election, in the lead up to the 2016 election, he was talking about, if I don't win, it's rigged, it's fake, it's rigged, it's, it's fake. Even once he won, he did this whole big thing about these 3 million votes, they were illegal votes. And, and you know, he started this commission with uh, Kobach in, from Kansas, if you might recall. And it was like, no, no, we've got to have a commission because there was, and then they never found any fraudulent votes because there, there, there were none then, there are none now. 
But those little lies, the, 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 little, the little ones and the big ones, but the little ones and the little ones and the more little, you know, there was a, uh, 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 my crowd was bigger than Obama's. We're sitting there looking at the pictures of the crowds. Obama had 2 million people and Trump had 200,000 people. And somehow he's telling us that, you know, he's got more people at his, at his inauguration. He's got his people around him lying. He's got Kellyanne talking about, you know, alternative facts. And so what we, what we have gotten is the steady diet of lies. I don't even know if they're still tracking it, but uh, the, I think it was the Washington Post was tracking Trump's lies. And the last I saw was like at 22,000 distinct lies, not the same lies over and over and over. So he, but he keeps lying. And part of the purpose of the lie, it's just to lie. It's to condition us to not believing the facts, to not believing the truth, to not, to disorienting us, gaslighting us, and almost making us think that we're crazy. Um, Tim Snyder, and I, I, I want to just point this out. If if you don't read anything else, I, this, well, I'll say if you don't read anything else this week, because um, you should always be reading something. But Tim Snyder, uh, you know, he's a writer. He wrote a book called On Tyranny and, and Others. But he wrote an article in the uh, New York Times or New York Times Magazine. I don't even think I wrote down the name of the article, but I will put a link to it. But in this article, he talks about the um, the big lie. And the big lie, and you may have heard that term this, this week, but the, the big lie, there are big lies and there are small lies, but the small lies are sort of there to condition you to be able to accept the big lie. And the big lie is predicated on your acceptance of all the small lies or your acquiescence to all the small lies. And it just was a really, really interesting article about how we are how we are where we are and why some people are believing this or don't know what to believe and how Trump and his team have been able to manipulate enough people to advance the big lie when the time came um one of the other things he talks about in this article and I just found it really interesting he sort of separates Trump supporters into two basic categories. They're the gamers and the breakers. The gamers are the people that essentially, uh, well, they know better, but they're in it for, uh, they're, they're trying to game the system. They're trying to get ahead. They're trying to get something. They're trying to um, take advantage and get what they can get for themselves, advance their careers and so forth. The breakers are the people who just want to break the system. They they are there and they, you know, and the ideology of the two groups matter. And ultimately, you know, how far somebody will go depends on sort of what their motivations are. And one of the things that he points out is that Trump is is neither. Trump doesn't have ideology. His ideology is just getting what he wants in the moment. And until we can sort of wrap our head around where where we are, especially because both sides continue to misrepresent and continue to lie and continue to uh, uh, move forward with their agendas, we're going to have a, a challenging time. Joe Biden is taking office um, at this time for probably for a reason. He is sort of that uh, nexus kind of a candidate, if you will, bridging the old with the new. And he's sufficiently sympathetic to um, minorities, African-Americans, people of color, people with disabilities, women, and so forth, that he's, and he's acceptable to both sides where you know he still is an older white man who is uh, was raised at a time and a place where he can understand the past, but he's 
flexible enough and visionary enough, for lack of a better term, that he can move toward the future. And I really sort of see Joe Biden right now as being or sort of a safe harbor, a safe zone. He's somebody, you know, whether you want to call him Uncle Joe or whatever, he's just somebody who gives us all an opportunity to just sort of take a break and take a pause. And we're moving forward. We are progressing. But we're moving to some people at what might be perceived as warp speed. And Joe sort of gives everybody an opportunity to say, okay, we're moving ahead. We'll take a break. Let us get our bearings. Let us slow down. And then we can move forward maybe at a little more methodical pace, which apparently is the only thing that's going to keep some people from burning the house down. You've got other people who are saying, you know what, we've been on the losing side of this thing for 400 years, and we're not waiting anymore. And that tension is really what allowed a Trump to happen, and that tension is what's going to allow Trumpism to continue. So at some point, I believe we're going to have to find some sort of middle ground, at least to get us through this period until we can maybe help some other people along. Anyway, um, so uh, the again, the Tim Snyder article is um, actually, I think I already posted it on the capitalgpodcast.com website. If I didn't, I will make sure that it's there today. So if you go, uh, you can see that. Um, so anyway, so last Wednesday, uh, well, it, it's been 10 days now. <laughs> it seems like just yesterday. But last Wednesday uh, on the 6th, as we all know, that was the day that Congress met to certify the electoral votes. And at the behest of the president, all these people, pro-Trump activists, I'll just call them that, showed up and then got whipped into a frenzy, marched down on the Capitol, stormed the gates, and craziness ensued. Since that time, we have literally impeached the president. There was not a whole lot of talking about it. There wasn't a whole lot of debate about it because the things that one might talk about and or debate were pretty much um, not up for debate. You know, did Trump stand on a stage and say, go down to the Capitol and fight for me? <laughs> you know, did he spend weeks and months and years, frankly, but did he spend certainly the eight weeks since election on November 3rd, agitating people, lying and saying it was rigged, it was stolen, it was stolen from us, it was stolen. These people, we can't let them get away with it and so on and so forth. Day after day after day after day, literally for two full months until that day. And the people at that point were whipped into a frenzy thinking that, you know, something was being taken from them. So Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, the Speaker of the House and the Senate Minority Leader, Chuck Schumer, uh, keep in mind Mitch McConnell is still the Senate Majority Leader until uh, for probably another week or so, um, until Warnock and uh, Ossoff get sworn in. But Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer went to Mike Pence and they said, look, you need to remove Trump using the 25th Amendment, which is something the vice president and the majority of the cabinet can come together and they can remove a president if they're unfit. Essentially, Mike Pence was refused to do it. When the time came, he refused to do it. But part of the reason that Trump needed to be impeached is because he has no remorse or no contrition. He has shown no contrition for what his role and what happened. People died thousands of dollars, at least thousands of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe millions of dollars worth of damage was done to the Capitol. Um, 
damage was done to our democracy. Damage was done to individuals. People were injured. We talk about the five that were um, that died, but there were dozens of people who were injured in the melee that ensued that day. So rather than for Trump to say, you know, I, you know, I, 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 maybe I got a little heated. I could have, you know, I should tamp it down or whatever. He did issue some statements, a couple, several, where he's like, you know, well, I'm here and, you know, and I don't want any violence and I don't want, but then he immediately reverts to type and he doubles down. And so he went last week on the, uh, or earlier this week, I guess, he went down to the border to look at the border wall, which frankly is just another way to, um, in, uh, to send a dog whistle to his supporters, right? I'm going down to look at this border wall because we're going to keep the brown people from, you know, coming into our country. But okay, whatever. With five days, you know, eight days left at that point, you know, really, what is the purpose of going down there? Your presidency is done. You need to be in there packing up your, you know, your underwear and your you know, happy meals or whatever, and leave the and leave the White House. But he's got to take into his post presidency his quote unquote accomplishments that include this you know partially rebuilt border wall. So he goes down to the border, and among other things, obviously, um, this is what he said. And to me, it sounds like a threat. Before we begin, I'd like to say that free speech is under assault like never before. The 25th Amendment is of zero risk to me, but will come back to haunt Joe Biden and the Biden administration. As the expression goes, be careful what you wish for. Who needs to be careful what they wish for? You know, it's like, again, this is not a man who should get to be in office another day. With that kind of, you know, the 25th Amendment is no threat to me. So in other words, I've got Mike Pence in my pocket and Joe needs to be careful what he asked for. Well, removing him from office would not be a Joe Biden thing. Joe Biden has very clearly stated, I'm staying out of it. And Congress can do what Congress is going to do. And when I become president, the attorney general can do what they are going to do, independent of influence for me, which is how it's always been until Trump got there. Well, maybe not always, but that's the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> that's the way it effectively has been until Trump got there. So this threat and other people, the comments, you know, when it was time to impeach him, because Mike Pence says, no, I'm not going to remove him from the, through the 25th Amendment. Then Nancy Pelosi is like, then fine, we will impeach him. So we had a full day of um, everybody getting to make their, uh, uh, their statements on the, on the House floor, because it's a House of Representatives Act, the impeachment is. And then if there is an impeachment, the articles of impeachment are taken over to the Senate where the Senate would have the trial. So the House, everybody gets to say whatever it is that they what they're gonna say and testify in, in this in this body. And you know, one by one, Democrats came forward and they said, you know, that we have a president that would incite people, that has fomented violence, that has lied to the people that created this fiction about the the uh, election being stolen and so on and so forth is unacceptable. It is not in keeping with his uh, oath of office and he should be removed. He shouldn't be here another day. And, you know, one might argue, you know, what's, you know, what's, a, what's another week? What's that going to hurt, right? At the time that this happened on the 6th, from the 6th to the 14th, I'm sorry, from 6th to the 20th is 14 days. So literally we're talking about two more weeks. What what's the, what's the hassle? What's the problem? And they're saying, you know what? There's so much he can do in those 14 days. 
he needs to be removed now and we need to stake a claim. We need to put a, a, a marker in the ground and say, this is not acceptable. Okay, fine. And then on the other side, Republican after Republican came forward and they, you know, there was a range of, of things that they said. The most laughable was, this is a time for unity. You know, Joe Biden said he was going to bring both sides together. And this is a time for unity. And if he's going to do that, he's got to start with this and look the other way. And, you know, it was a bad thing. The president used some, some you know, poor choice of words. But can't we all just get along? Others said things more along the lines of, you know, it's the Democrats' fault. They've been hunting this man from day one, and they've been relentless in their pursuit of him, and they didn't let him have his agenda and his presidency and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, yeah, Democrats did, you know, uh, 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 seek litigation and, and, and investigations and all this because he's been committing crimes from the day he got to office. He lied on the first day talking about crowd size and then we come to learn about the whole Russia thing. We, you know, the Mueller report did say, did not say that there was no collusion. It said that there was conspiracy, but they couldn't prove it. It, you know, to a particular, um, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt or whatever the the measurement is. Uh, but he also laid out all of the obstruction of justice, and it's like, well, how can we? investigate if you're going to obstruct justice because you're the president and you get to hide all the documents and you got everybody lying for you because you promised them a pardon. So, you know, then the thing with the Ukraine, then the thing, you know, all of the grifting and the uh, uh, using his office to en enrich himself and charging secret service to golf every day and just all of, all of it, all of it. So yeah, I'm sure the Democrats you know, an argument could be made. The Democrats have hunted him from day one. But the Democrats didn't tell, did not tell people to go and show up on, on January 6th and storm the Capitol. So for Republicans, I mean, that's so disingenuous to, you know, both sides and both sides do it and the Democrats and Democrats bad. Um, and then celebrities, you know, Kathy Griffin held up a, had that looked like Trump and, and, you know, this other one, Chrissy Teigen, you know, had some mean tweets and, you know, what all, all these things that, you know, all these, you know, celebrities are doing that was just unacceptable. And that's why Trump did it. So that's what the Republicans did with their time. At the end of the day, uh, first of all, there are more Democrats. Democrats have the majority. And for the most part, Nancy wasn't going to start this without knowing that all the Democrats or as many as she needed to impeach were on board. So there was that. But in addition, 10 Republicans actually voted to impeach Donald Trump. So unlike the first time he was impeached, and yes, now he has been impeached twice. Unlike the first time that was... Uh, on a partisan, the votes were on a partisan basis. This was bipartisan. So Nancy Pelosi uh, shepherded through the second impeachment. It was bipartisan. And here are her statements um, after, after that vote as she was about to sign the article of impeachment. Today, in a bipartisan way, the House demonstrated that no one is above the law, not even the President of the United States. That Donald Trump is a clear and present danger to our country, and that once again, we honored our oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help us God. And now, I sadly, and with her heart broken over what this means to our country, of a president who would incite insurrection, will sign the engrossment of the article of impeachment. So as Nancy sat down to sign the article of impeachment, 
you know, she didn't do it with a whooping and hollering. She seemed like, you know, this is really a sad place for us to be. And it really is. Um, but again, it was something that needed to be done. And now here we find ourselves five days out from, that was, that was seven days out from uh, the end of the term. Now we're five days out from the end of the term. And more information is starting to come forward, uh, is starting to be reported about the, all the incidents and the activity at the insurrection. <laughs> at the, I don't even know what to call it, at the coup, at the coup attempt, at the occupation of the Capitol building. One of the things, and this is probably the most important thing, you know, we're learning, you know, as people are getting arrested, and I talked about that a little bit, you know, we will learn more, but people will pay, you know, the, but one of my first observations as it was happening in real time, I said, and I tweeted, and you probably should follow uh, me on Twitter, either Greer McVeigh on tw Twitter at Greer McVeigh or at uh, Capital Greer. Um, but immediately I was like, these people have been told to stand down. It was just so obvious to me that the that the police force that I would expect for for an event with all of, you know, everybody but the president was in that building. And it just, it just looked like, you know, Paul Blart, mall cop was there. I mean, it, there were hundreds, I think hundreds of Capitol Police that were outnumbered by thousands and thousands of people showing up, many of them showing up with weapons and using things as weapons. So it just was, it, it, it struck me as odd in real time. But now we're starting to see video footage. And I guess some of it is surveillance video. Some of it were reporters' videos. Others were videos of people who were there. And also as they capture people, you know, capture people and confiscate their, their cell phones and things like that, we're getting more and more of a look at what happened. And what seems very clear is that there was some sort of assistance that was provided to these people, whether it was schematics of the building and, and um, access or doors left unlocked or whatever. In one of the videos, you see a woman with a bullhorn that's yelling at the people and telling them, well, if you go directly underneath you on the floor below, if you go through the floor, you can do whatever turn left and then there's a guard over there and that this is like an orchestrated attack whether there was whether this was an inside job or whether they had help from the inside with co-conspirators with congressional people acting as co-conspirators we don't yet know but there is some suspicion of that so uh, so I just have another clip of Nancy Pelosi basically putting Congress people on notice. And there are a handful of individuals. I'm not saying any names right now, but there are a couple of women in particular who are, you know, QAnon sort of far right wing gun toting, you know, we're coming after you and we're not wearing our masks. And we're bringing our guns to the Capitol. A couple of them that are probably those that are being most looked at. But there are about a dozen people that, you know, there have been reports that there were some, you know, what are being described as reconnaissance missions or recon missions the day before, where some of the people who were there on the Wednesday insurrection day were there the day before with a congressperson getting a tour. So we're they're now looking at that and you know we'll soon find out. But here's Nancy putting them on notice. 
if in fact it is found that members of Congress were accomplices to this insurrection, if they aided and abetted the crime, there may have to be actions taken beyond the Congress and, and uh, in terms of prosecution for that. So that's what we're going to be looking for in the next few days, because we have Congress people now who are afraid to show up to their job and do their work because they don't know if their fellow congressperson is going to kill them or help someone kill them. And again, we have a new administration coming in, and this is a time, you know, when you have crisis, when you have times of crisis, that's when it's easier for people to do things. There's a lot of confusion. There are a lot of moving parts. Um, if you haven't read it, I encourage, encourage you to read Naomi Klein's Shock Doctrine. Uh, that just really helps you see sort of what happens when a nation has been shocked and the kinds of things that, that bad actors could get away with. So anyway, so here we are now. We've got Donald Trump, five days left, has been impeached twice. And uh, Nancy Pelosi's got these, this, these articles of this article, one single article of impeachment, incitement uh, to, for insurrection. Um, so what does she do with that? Mitch McConnell has said he's not going to reconvene the Senate until the 19th, and they would start a trial on the 20th, which is Inauguration Day. Nancy doesn't have to hand over, I'm sorry, <laughs> Speaker Pelosi doesn't have to hand over the articles of, of impeachment right away. First of all, she could wait until Mitch McConnell is out of the way and Chuck Schumer is the person she'd be dealing with, which, you know, there's that. But that makes me wonder, why does Mitch McConnell, he's signaled that he may or may not vote to impeach, to uh, convict Trump. He's already impeached, so the conviction will come next. He's indicated that he may be open to convicting Trump, which is interesting, right? Um, since he's been carrying Trump's water all this time, but he's extracted everything out of Trump. He's a, he's a, he's a, uh, a gamer. So he's gotten played the game and gotten what he can get out of Trump and he's done with him, ready to discard him. But what exactly is it's it what I what I sense is that Mitch McConnell is setting up the Repub the Democrats to take the to take the fall. They're the ones who ultimately would remove well, Trump would be removed, but would be the one sort of convicting him posthumously. You know, well, not posthumously, he's not dead, but after after his term is up. So then what's the benefit of doing that? And the only real benefit I can see of convicting Trump after he's already left office, if you're not convicting him to remove him, then why are you convicting him? You're It's not a court of law. So you're convicting him to maybe set up some legal precedent down the line. But the other thing is to deny him some of the benefits that come with being, you know, a former president, the pension, the secret service protection, and, you know, the travel budget. I think presidents get, is it like a million dollars a year or something like that to run their office? And, you know, and, and you know, most presidents then go on to, have a library and speaking and, you know, and all those kinds of things. So it would deny Trump some of those benefits. So I'm all about that. Um, so, you know, but what, and if, and if Nancy's going to do it, would she do it now or would she do it later? Doing it later provides time for more evidence to be gathered to build a stronger case. Um, Doing it now sort of interferes with Joe Biden's, you know, first days, weeks, months as president. And that's a distraction, a political distraction. I personally think she should hang it out there 
hang it over everybody and not deliver the, the articles of impeachment, not right away. And um, I heard someone say today, and I can't remember who it was. I think it was, um, oh, it'll come to me. It was a, uh, uh, oh, I could, I could see, I could see him now. Uh, Richard Haas. Um, I can't think of Richard Haas's job, but he's the, um, he's the head of the Council of Foreign Relations. I think that's his, his title. He was on uh, Morning Joe. He made a really good point that I hadn't heard anyone else say, so I'm going to associate myself with his comments. But he basically said he doesn't want, and, and unlike Jim Comey, James Comey, who was like, Joe Biden should pardon him, so pardon Trump so that we can all have a kumbaya moment. And, you know, what's the benefit? And it, uh, and I'm like, you know, everybody's like, J James Comey, you need to go sit down because you and Hillary's emails is what got us in this mess in the first place. But what Richard Haas said, and I just so agree with this, is there are a whole lot of bodies out there, a lot of uh, organizational entities, different courts, different jurisdictions uh, who want a piece of Trump. And they've got some, you know, most, most notably uh, Letitia James in New York. <laughs> She's like chomping at the bit. But all these Cases have, you know, they've been building these cases waiting until the day that Trump is no longer president. He's individual number one over here in the Michael Cohen case. He's got his tax crimes, you know, over here in this other case. He's got uh, 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 women that he that have accused him of rape and like E. Jean Carroll and the whole list of other women who have accused him. All these cases are pending. There are a lot of cases that are pending. The one case that is sort of up in the air, I mean, most of them I wouldn't call them open and shut, but there is some really strong evidence against Trump in a lot of different venues. And the one place where he's likely to be acquitted is in a Senate trial. Right, the Senate only ten only ten of a hundred senators uh, voted to voted for. Uh, well, let me back up. Only ten of the House of Representatives, so different bodies of the representatives, only ten voted to remove to uh, impeach Trump. If ten senators voted to remove him, which is actually a higher percentage, but if 10 voted to remove it, they need like 17. They need two thirds of the Senate in order to remove him. He's already gone. So most of them that are on the fence would be like, eh, yeah, why bother, right? They don't want to make an enemy of Trump. So the likelihood that he would get convicted is not all that great. So why give him the ammunition to say, they, look, they went after me again. And once again, I was acquitted. Remember what he did when, when the Mueller report came out and he was like, I was totally exonerated, exonerated. They found nothing. I was completely, you know, he said there was no collusion, no collusion. Then when he was acquitted in the, in the first uh, uh, impeachment after, you know, in that trial, exonerated, I'm 100% innocent, blah, blah, blah. And they use that to continue the big lie or to continue with the little lies that led to the big lies, right? So I am sort of of the mind that the impeachment is on the record. I think down the line, we should go back and convict him. There should be you know, a Senate trial, but I think let some of these other trials take place in these other courts, in actual courts of law, and then come back at a later time and strip him of his pension, his taxpayer funded pensions and all of that. That's where my mind is on all of that. So I'm gonna wrap this up um, with, with a few uh, extra little points. 
Keep an eye out for Liz Cheney. She is Dick Cheney's daughter. She is the uh, she's a, a congresswoman from uh, Wyoming. She's obviously she's one of the ones. She sort of led the rebellion in impeachment. So she actually went out on a limb to stake that claim. And now you know the Republican establishment is like, oh my God, she's a leader. That's what leadership looks like. Obviously, she's got bigger political ambitions, and I'd be concerned about any daughter of Dick Cheney's being anything, anything, let you know, let alone president down the line. So I just keep an eye on her. Um, and then I just want to quickly mention that Joe Biden, <laughs> in all of this, Joe Biden yesterday and Today, so on Thursday and on Friday, uh, the uh, January fourteenth and fifteenth, he gave a primetime address um, on the, the evening of the fourteenth, where he talked about um, what he's going to do about, about what his vaccination program looks like and his financial program, and then he g gave some more comments today. I didn't really hear what he said today. Um, but I know he was reiterating that and giving a little bit more um, meat to those bones. So he is moving forward with filling out his cabinet, with coming up with plans for uh, more testing with the coronavirus, more testing, more uh, vaccinations. He's he's uh, committed to 100 million vaccinations in his first 100 days. That is a pretty robust a vaccination program. We are at about a little over 11 million uh, vaccinations at this point. Um, the Trump uh, uh, administration had indicated at least 20 million by the end of the year. Well, that was 15 days ago and we're at 11 million. So we are woefully short. And so Joe Biden really wants to get that ramped up and then get more money out the door. So money to the states to help fund the vaccination plan that he has to help small businesses and to put money in people's hands. I believe he's looking at doing the $1,400 difference, a differential between the uh, $2,000 that Trump talked about and the $600 that uh, went out. I assume it went out, I didn't get anything. So. Um, I know a couple of people that did, so I don't know how widespread that that was, but that money has already gone out. So there is more aid to come. Presumably, that would be able to get through a Chuck Schumer-led Senate. Chuck Schumer would actually. There were plenty of there were there. The belief is that the votes were there. There were Congress people. Um, the House and the Senate, well, the Senate, the House passed it under Nancy Pelosi. The Senate never never voted on anything because Chuck, uh, um, uh, Mitch McConnell wouldn't bring, won't bring anything up for a vote. So, uh, and Republicans would, a handful would, maybe not all of them, but enough to get stuff passed. So Chuck Schumer would actually put those things up for a vote, more money, more direct aid, put that up for a vote, not just giving money to corporations and, you know, hedge fund people. So Joe Biden is over here chugging away, getting ready to take office in just a few days. Um, and then on a completely unrelated uh, note, yesterday a story broke um, and I really, uh, there was just so much going on and I just couldn't get to it in time. And Rachel Maddow beat me to it. So I'm going to direct you to Rachel Maddow's, uh, her, her, on her Thursday show, her A Block. And if I have the ability to post a link to that on the Capital G podcast website, I will do so. It was about the Flint, Michigan uh, crisis. And she did a brilliant job. And she as always. Um, but she did, she went a, a, a route that, well, she went the route that I would have gone, but obviously she went further because she just has more resources. But long story short, Governor uh, Rick Schneider, Schneider, I just want to make sure that the the Rick the the one that wrote the story that I referenced his name is I believe his name is no his name is Tim Tim Snyder 
So Rick Snyder is the governor of Michigan or the former governor of Michigan. He was arrested and brought up on charges as was, you know, senior members of his administration, finally for the Flint water crisis thing. So that uh, scandal, that story broke yesterday morning that he was uh, being charged. They're being charged with willful negligence of their duties or something of that effect. But this whole thing about the Flint water and how, you know, and I, th that was one of those stories that just really rubbed me the wrong way from day one, because what happened, and I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but in a nutshell, what happened is that the people voted for their elect, their local elected officials. And then those people were replaced with special managers and the special managers in various locations, but this was a Republican brainchild. In Flint in particular, they replaced the water supply uh, because it was cheaper. So they replaced the water supply with, uh, instead of from the Great Lakes, <laughs> I think they were using Lake Superior water. They were like, okay, we're going to use Flint River water. Literally, that's like, instead of using, you know, the glacial waters coming down from, you know, Mount Shasta, the Cascades or the Rocky Mountains somewhere, we're going to go over to Lake Merritt and scoop up some, <laughs> go scoop up some water and, you know, and, and tell people to drink it and tell them it's clear and that they like it. Um, and, you know, people died, children got sick, there were Legionnaire's disease outbreak and all of this stuff. Well, that they finally got their comeuppance and are looking at jail time. It's not enough. The charges, I think, are woefully inadequate for what happened, but it is a start. And it says something about people, one, having representatives who genuinely care about their community, who look like the people in the community have a, uh, a connection to the people that they represent and people being tenacious and fighting and staying in there for, for the long haul. So I just want to sort of end on that note. I just felt that was, <laughs> you know, people going to jail as a feel good story sounds a little counterintuitive, but at the end of the day, that's what it is. People are being held accountable for their actions. So uh, I thank you for listening to this episode of the Capital G podcast. Again, we've got five days until we have a new president this four, well, and in the meantime, we don't know what's gonna, what's gonna happen. We're on pardon watch, right? So Rudy Tr Trump is now saying that he's not gonna pay Rudy's legal bills. Um, which is kind of, it's like, can you do that? Well, he does that. That's his thing. Um, but Trump maybe won't pay Rudy's legal bills, but will he give him a pardon? And Gerald Ford gave Trump a, he was, uh, uh, Nixon wasn't charged with any crime. So Gerald Ford's pardon was like for crimes known and unknown. So presumably, you know, Trump is going to give pardons proactively to his children, Ivanka, Don Jr. Don Jr. Remember had the tower, the meeting in Trump Tower with the Russian Velnaskaya and the Russians, and then um, you know Ivanka's doing her criming uh, before and after. You know, you can't pardon people for future crimes, but you can pardon them for federal crimes up to this point in time. So whether Trump pardons himself, whether he lets Mike Pence become his, uh, become president for a period of time, all that stuff, we still don't know. Um, who else would, who else would he pardon? And whether or not he'll pardon these people. Now, some people are arguing, well, Trump doesn't care about these people that descended on Washington, D.C., and, you know, killed people and destroyed property. And I'm like, yeah, he doesn't care about him personally. He would never have dinner with him. He's not going to break bread with him at, at Mar-a-Lago. But those are the people that would pay for, you know, $9.99 a month for a subscription to Trump TV. So he may not want to turn on them so fast and he needs them. 
He still needs them. They are his base. They are the people that are that presumably would vote for him in the future or that will pay for his whatever the products he's selling um, or that will help him stay in the limelight. So it'll be interesting to see what pardons get issued. And again, we only have five more days. So, you know, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open. And again, I thank you for listening and have a wonderful uh, rest of your day. This is Greer McVeigh again with Capital G Podcast. And again, that is politics with a capital G. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Capital G. As always, you can find show and host information at capitalgpodcast.com and even more information and commentary on the Capital G blog, which you can also access through capitalgpodcast.com. If you liked what you heard, please share the show with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you.